And mm. that's another thing is like we already sit down so much. Why are we then going to have individuals come into the gym and sit on more machines? Yeah. Machines have their place. I'm not anti-machine, but as soon as someone's capable of not being on machines, do that. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hi guys, welcome to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? I hope everyone's had an amazing week. I'm really excited because later today I'm going to be putting on a digestion workshop for Strong Academy. Digestion is a topic that I am really passionate about lately. I've come to learn that digestion really is the foundation of our health and well-being overall. So I've constructed a bomb workshop that I'm going to share later this evening, and then I'm also planning on recording a podcast episode based on the info that I give in that workshop that I'm going to be releasing next week. So be on the lookout for that. Get excited. It's very interesting. When you tell someone you're a trainer and they don't know anything about you or your philosophy, one of two things happens. Either they immediately start talking about something that they want to change about themselves. Oh yeah, I need to get to the gym. My hips have been getting so much wider lately, or my stomach's just not the same since my last pregnancy, or for guys, oh yeah, I really need to get to the gym because my arms are looking small lately, or they make a joke about their beer belly or something. It's something that... It's something negative about their body and it's like they have permission to tell you because you're a trainer. And what that tells me is that that's how people see the fitness industry. They think that the whole point of the fitness industry and everyone in it is there to change how people's bodies look. It's so interesting. And I always get kind of uncomfortable when people launch into that. Sometimes they even tell me really specifics about their weight about how much weight they've gained or how much they weigh and what their goal weight is, like all within a couple of seconds of me telling them that I'm a trainer. And it's always a really hard thing to navigate for me to say, hey, actually, that's not really what I focus on in the gym. And I don't really support that kind of self-talk. I focus on functional training and how you feel and building healthy habits. It's like, not the easiest thing to get across in the first couple minutes of meeting someone because I also don't want to invalidate them or make them feel stupid for telling me something like that because it is a really vulnerable thing to share with someone for a lot of people. So that either happens or they say, oh, I really need to get better and get into the gym and they get afraid that you're going to start judging them for something. So last Friday, I was out at a bar for a friend's birthday party And there were a lot of people there that I had never met before. So I was introducing myself, telling them what I do. And people started to make jokes about it. If they were grabbing at the snacks or based on what they were drinking or asking how many drinks I had had as if I was judging them for their choices. As a trainer, I'm a human being too. And I don't walk around looking at everybody else and judging them for their choices. First of all, you're not my client. So I could give a shit less what you decide to do. Like, more power to you, it's a Friday night, you do you, have fun. But even if you were my client, I'm not watching you purposely and judging your decisions because I believe in sustainability and if you're 
out on a Friday night, you should feel free to eat the snacks that are there and indulge in drinks because that's what you're there for and you're being social and that's a good thing to do. If it's relevant to the conversation that we're having in something that you're working on, we might talk about something that happened on a night out, or if it's becoming a really regular pattern, then yeah, I might address that with my clients. But overall, like, I'm just a human being too. And I don't personally want to be judged by people, first of all, for how I look or what I choose to consume. It's a very interesting thing, this immediate perception that people have of trainers. And it's something that I hope starts to change. I think it is changing a little bit, but we still have a long ways to go. This podcast has nothing to do with being out on a Friday night and the choices that you might make on a Friday night, but I am so excited to share this episode with you guys. In this episode of the podcast, I'm talking with Robert Lincoln. Robert is the head personal trainer and owner of Be Stronger Fitness in Sacramento, California. Robert has his master's degree in personal training from the University of Alabama and a bachelor's degree in kinesiology from California State University of Sacramento. He was named NSCA's 2012 Personal Trainer of the Year. He serves as the chairman for the NSCA's Personal Trainer Special Interest Group and is the career development columnist for the NCA's Personal Training Quarterly Publication. He's a certified personal trainer, certified strength and conditioning specialist, and along with his wife is the founder of Be Stronger Fitness, which specializes in training older adults. He's been in the personal training industry since 1999, has developed a semi-private group training style that he really feels like he's mastered. Robert has quite a story and quite a journey as to why he decided to train with older adults and work primarily with that population, and it was so cool to hear about. I really connected with him about the reason behind why we do what we do and what part of training fulfills us. It sounds like he has so much love and care for his clients and that he really delivers a premium experience and it's a strength training experience. He doesn't make modifications for people that aren't necessary just because they're older. And we talked a lot about that in this episode. We talked about his methods. We talked about general considerations for fitness as you age. So I'm really excited to share this episode. I think it's one that everyone can benefit from. As a functional trainer, I think a lot about what I'm doing and how it's going to impact clients 10, 20, 30 years from now. Like I'm thinking of the long haul. And so to talk to someone who's training with those people that are older really kind of helped me bring things full circle. I think this would be an awesome one to share with parents and grandparents, anyone that's interested in moving well for their entire life. All right, guys, without any further ado, I hope you all enjoy this episode with Robert Lincoln. Hi, Robert. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so thank happy you to have me. you on. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm very excited to talk about your training and your business mm-hmm. because I'm very interested in this concept of training older adults. I think that in the functional fitness space, we think we're starting to think about how do I want to move when I'm older? Um, So I think it's a really good conversation to have about what does the training look like as you get older. So I'm excited to chat about that today. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to see. I saw on your, I think, Instagram, you had some questions that kind of came up from some of your your followers too. So I'd love to kind of dive into those if we have time. But no, this is definitely a um, much needed system and style of training. We're living to much older uh, ages now, healthier living and more medicine and 
and uh, aging techniques that, that help us there that uh, we really have these opportunities to um, address and, and work with people at a whole new level to address a lot of the issues that they need and to help them through the aging process. But in a lot of cases, we have you know a lack of education, a lack of direction, a lack of confidence on the trainer's end. We're worried about working with older people, about hurting them, not really knowing what to do with them. And so that's a big part of what I teach and what I like to help coach and and uh, give some direction to those those steps. So that's more or less what my you know my efforts have been the last 15, 20 years is teaching that. Awesome. You're right. It is so needed. Why did you decide to specialize in training older adults just because you saw this void? I, I did for that reason. And I'm, I'm like the oldest 39 year old you're ever going to meet. I've, <laughs> I've had, I've had such an old man. Uh, I've had 13 surgeries. Uh, I was diagnosed with a carcinoid tumor in my lung in 2009. I had a back surgery in 2008 that ended my, my track and field. I was a hammer thrower, uh, ended my career there. I've had two hip replacements, uh, arthroscopies on both of my hips prior to that had three different wrist surgeries wrist repairs carpal tunnel repair uh, I had a thyroid cancer component that had to be removed so I just uh, wow. and I, I share all that with you to hopefully try to impress with you the, the idea of like when you go through a process like this my mindset is I'm going to learn everything that I can about this not only to be successful myself but these are the people I'm going to be working with so when I like on paper, when doctors see me, they're like, this is the wrong file. This is a, a file of an older person. I kind of look at that as a compliment in a little bit because it's like I've been through these processes. I've learned a lot, but my clients almost mirror that. So when they come in and they're 65 or 75 years old and they're like, you young trainers, you just don't get it. I kind of have an opportunity to go in and say, yeah, I actually kind of do get it. And that establishes some credibility with me right away where they're like, oh, you do. You do understand. Um, so when I say I want to kind of impress upon people that idea is like, we need to empathize. That's really the big key. You don't need to go out and hurt your hip to have hip surgery to be able to say I can relate to my clients. But understanding the limitation, understanding the anatomy, understanding the struggle that they go through um, with not having the ability they used to have, like empathizing with that um, struggle for them and how to overcome it and giving them the direction they see you as this binding piece, this opportunity to like, oh, this person can show me the way. And if you come in with, you know, the educated mindset, the energy, the direction, and it's all really organized, then, then they're like, oh, I have total faith in you. And, you know, they have this community of people around them that are probably having the same or very similar injuries. And now you're a talking point, you're a referral, you know, opportunity waiting to happen. So that's really kind of the the circle for me of kind of getting into this was not only did I want to help people, but I was helping myself in the process and learning. I'm obsessive with my mindset with stuff like that. When I find something that's, I'm either a client that I haven't worked with before or a limitation I don't know much about. I learn as much as I can about that. And between the doctors I work with, the physical therapist team that I have, you know, I try to create like the best approach to progressively address that. And then I have that opportunity for the next person and the next person. And we just keep growing with that. Cool. Wow. What a journey that must have been through 13 different surgeries and rehabbing all of them, all different parts of your body. Yeah. Can you give us some insight as to what your athletic career and training looked like before you had all those surgeries? Yeah, I, I wasn't gifted. I had this roommate that, that he could literally jump over his Volkswagen, right? Like that was his, oh he was just, he was just this athletic guy. And I tried it and I fell through a sunroof. Like I just, I didn't have that type two, just that dynamic explosion. So to, for me to look at all these other throwers and like, how am I going to 
stay in this? How am I going to stay in the game? I'm going to train harder than them. If they were taking 30 throws, I'd take 60. If they were squatting twice a week, I'd squat four days a week. And so I just trained myself really into all these injuries. And uh, we didn't have, I didn't have a coach through high school that really knew the weight room well. He didn't really know throwing all that well. He tried very hard. He's a great man. And I appreciated the effort on that. But you need someone to show you the way. And you can only learn so much through through books. And we didn't, I mean, when I was throwing in high school and college, the internet was was a baby. So we didn't have YouTube and, and all these communications you could have where you could you can meet with other coaches and learn. So I trained myself into the majority of my injuries. And knowing that, going through that process, I've really kind of gone back and said, man, the, the quality of the work that you put in just greatly outnumbers the quantity of the work that you put in. And though that mindset is, is ad, it's admirable to be like, hey, someone wants to work that hard. Um, you need to like tailor and teach them how to work really hard at these small amounts of what you're doing and get a, a well-rounded picture. I didn't do any glute training. I didn't do any stability training. I, I didn't work on split stance work. I was a, a rotational bilateral athlete. I had both hands and both feet attached to something, the ground and my implement. You know, I threw the hammer, I turned in a circle. So I'm like, why do I need to do all these one arm things or single leg? Things? It just didn't make sense to me. And so, you know, I trained myself into a really asymmetrical body that <laughs> needs to be overhauled. And that's yeah. been a process for me to learn and to go through, but also to teach and to share with everybody else. What are some of the biggest things that you know now? You're alluding to some of them, but what are some yeah. of the biggest things that you know now that make your training look different? Like, what do you focus on now? The, the hip is really the key component for all, all of my clients. The ability to hip hinge correctly and to build glute strength in a variety of different movement patterns is our very first priority with our clients. Our second is to work on, work on what I call retractability, their ability to retract their scapula, to hold their posture up tall, seated standing, carrying loads, which is number three, load transfer. Mm-hmm. which you have to hinge down to pick up and then you have to retract to hold in the transfer. So really you're learning steps one, two, and three, which pretty much apply to almost all the movements that we do every day. They have to do some kind of hinge when they're picking up their toothbrush, when they're picking up a bag of dog food, when they're picking up grandkids, whatever it is, they're hinging to support and stabilize that weight. They have to retract, they have to stabilize. It comes through the, uh, the scapular stability, the rhomboids, uh, as far as musculature goes. And then they have to be able to stabilize that while creating momentum in whatever direction. And we do that over and over again with our, our car keys to our bags to, you know, heavy groceries and whatever else we do. So knowing that those are kind of the priorities of movement patterns that we're going to do daily, I'm going to train my people to address that need. Mm-hmm. And so the hinge, the row, and the carry are really the three pieces we hit every single day. And all of those variables will change depending on whatever we did the previous time. So uh, I, I love glute bridging. I love hip thrusting. I love anything that's really kind of glute and hip dominant in a horizontal plane because I'm able to load our individuals pretty well there because the the load of compression of the vertebral column and such is so minimal, we don't really have to worry about hurting their backs for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. So we can teach that movement pattern. And then as they get better with that and we start to work on more rowing components, the the two pieces start to come together and we're able to, you know, progress into a a pretty good trainable and, and progressive manner. So knowing that those were the pieces that I missed a lot as a thrower, you know, we did a ton of quarter squats. We didn't really squat to depth because it wasn't our sport. I wasn't in that kind of depth position. Yeah. And it's like, 
we had other throwers that were Olympic lifters that were the most flexible guys and I was throwing further than them. So I'm like, what's the point of me? You squat, you know, ass to ankles and I squat to, to a quarter squat, you know, and we're both moving a lot of weight and I can move mine quickly. Mine's applying to my sport. But what did it do to me for the rest of my life, right? right? And really, was that the most beneficial thing for me to do at that time? So it's just been like a, a new overall health approach for me to look at. No matter what sport we're doing, there's going to be life after sport. What's it going to do to us, you know, beyond that? And can I still address whatever my client needs as an athlete or as a regular, you know, individual person just going about life? Can I still address those goals immediately? and preserve their health and their comfort, you know, as they continue to age, that was really the missing piece for me. Yeah. And I think it is for so many young athletes and people that get so zeroed in on their goals that are performance based in the gym. And they're not thinking about long-term until something happens, whether it's an injury or something happens in life that forces them to slow down. And then they kind of rethink things. I can imagine that the mindset of training with older adults is definitely different than that. They're coming to you for different reasons than performance or based. And I'm assumed not mostly aesthetic based. What is it about the mindset of training with older adults that you like? Almost all of them are coming to me with an injury or a weakness in mind. So it's like one of the first questions that we get through instead of telling me about your goals, it's tell me about our training purpose. And when you, when you look at the true term of goal, it means I need to have this done by culminating event, right? My goal is to lose 30 pounds by my high school reunion or whatever it is, right? But the training purpose, there is no end. It's what is my current focus now? And so they'll come in and they got a pending hip surgery coming up. They are recovering from their cancer treatment and they're just really weak. You know, like whatever that first thing that kind of comes out of their mouth when I ask that, that's usually the number one priority that they want to address. And in 80% of those folks, I've had the opportunity to experience something very similar or the same. And when I reflect on my experience to be able to overcome that, I think I get the chance now to help you do that. And, and so that kind of mindset gets infectious. You know, you really want to do everything you can to help this individual experience success and to be pain-free and, you know, to get back to doing the things in their life that they couldn't do before. And if I know the steps to help get them near that or to achieve that, uh, then I'm the right fit. Uh, I have had clients that come in and they're 100 pounds overweight and they want before and after photos and measurements. And I, and I tell them, I got a guy named Greg who's a good friend of mine and owns a gym two blocks up. That's what he does. And when he has a client that says they need a hip replacement and they're hurt, he sends it my way, right? Like we, we know our demographic. We know who we're targeting. And so that can be hard for some people when they're trying to make business, you know, to have their business be successful. It's like, how do I turn away that business and know that I'm not an expert at it? In many cases, you're going to either hurt yourself reputation wise by not delivering or hurt the client. So it's really difficult for us to kind of stay into our, our lane and know what it is that we're really passionate about and what we're educated on and who we can work with. Mm-hmm but that's exactly what you need to do. That's where you're going to be most successful. That's where the word of mouth and the reputation comes from and your business will grow from that. I jokingly kind of say like we are a crock pot. I'm like, we're the slow cooker of industry. There is no microwave of like, let's get rich now. Like our, our business doesn't work that way. Mm. We really have to establish who we are in the industry and our reputation builds and refers us business that stays for long periods of time. That's how trainers get successful. It's just, you know, knowing who who that target demographic is. And if you're the right person to work with them, 
that took me a little while to find in the beginning. But once I hit it, I'm just like, I know exactly who I want to work with and what the training purpose is. And if that fits in, in my lane, then we're going. And if it doesn't, then I help them find the person that does. Cool. Yeah, that's such good advice. And I feel like that really allows you to, when that client walks in, like you have curated the experience for that person that that person needs that is so high quality because you've done it time and time and time again, and you're not clouded by people with all other backgrounds and intentions and things. And so I'm sure that the experience that your clients have at your gym is that much better for it. Mind you too, like your listeners, I don't know what level each of them is kind of coming to hear you at. So I'm not saying right in the beginning, you need to do that. Like in the beginning, I trained everyone and anyone. And I did that for probably four or five years until I really started to find a, a niche of, you know, I'm gravitating towards these folks. I was actually trying to work with high level athletes. I just wasn't any good at it, but I kept working with their parents and their grandparents and the injuries they had, and they were being more successful. So my demographic really picked me my business was telling me, you, you kind of suck at this, even though you're trying really hard, it's just not working out. But this business continues to grow and you're not even trying, right? You're, you were trying to do something else. And so in the beginning, it's like, we kind of call it like the Swiss army approach, like be good, at, decent at everything and training anyone. And as one thing really starts to, to call to you or your business starts to tell you, this is, this is it, then go with that. And no, you learn as much as you can and pursue that. And it may change down the line. Who knows what, what the future will hold for you with that. But that is definitely a, a great approach to come in. If you specialize or select something too early, you, you know, you might pigeonhole or miss something that you're really meant to be doing. So, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't want that story to necessarily deter, or, you know, poo-poo anybody's mindset of where they're going, you know, be open in the beginning, but, but know that there's definitely going to be one thing that you're going to be known for and that you just can't stop thinking about. That's it. That's the thing to go do. Yeah, cool. I think that's a good distinction. Let's talk a little bit about the assessments that you do when someone yeah. comes to you. They come to you, you establish their training purpose, then what? How do you start to build a program for them? First thing that I address is the, the word assessment. Uh, <laughs> so I'll tell you a story about my wife. Um, we, we have a place here called Fleet Feet. And when you go into Fleet Feet, it's like a long distance running marathon kind of store. When you go in there, um, the first thing they want to do is they just want to see you run. And so the guy goes, I'm a, I'm a shoe expert. I'm going to watch you run. And then I'll tell you which $180 pair of shoes is going to be the one for you. So I watch, she's running up and down in the store and I'm kind of laughing to myself. And she comes up, she goes, what are you laughing at? I'm like, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm running. I'm like, you don't run like that, right? You're running like that because you're trying to produce what <laughs> you think that person wants to see. So she looks like a gazelle all of a sudden running and bouncing along. And I've never seen you run like that. So as soon as we know we're being assessed, we deliver a different service, a different product. If you're like, I want to see how tall you are. All of a sudden, I'm a little bit taller in my posture, right? Yeah, we, for sure. We respond to that. Everything changes. As soon as if you see someone else, like watch the next time you're with a group of trainers and someone talks about posture, you see half the room go, oh yeah, my posture. Yeah, everybody does that, right? So as soon as we know we're being judged, everything changes. So what I need to get from my client is the true movement pattern, not the assessed movement pattern. So I'm going to bring that up. I just say that, you know, we've done our sit down. I've collected all the data via our talk. We don't even train on the first day. Older adults do not, they're not concerned about instant training now. They want the right person. So they'll wait a day for you to write the right program, okay? So you sit down, collect all your data, build your right workout. Then the next day they come back or two days later and now we're ready for workout number one, which is what they think when really pro to pro, it's our assessment, okay? So 
workout number one is a sit to stand. Sit down to a bench and return. The height that I want, they can, we can adjust that. If they're using weight, if they need assistance, if I give them a load to use, and I wanna see eight of those. And while they're doing, I give minimal amount of information and I'm collecting as much data from them as I can. Are they caving in? Are they having to rock to get up? Are their knees valgously collapsing? Are they back dominant? Do they, I call it butt upping, where they straighten their legs and then use their back to stand up? Mm. I need to adjust that height, right? So I do that. I have another one that I use for the shoulders with a different face pull variation. Where do their arms go? What grip looks most comfortable? I'm watching their, their facial reactions. Are they wincing? Are they moving around something? Are they fine waiting for it to hurt or to pinch? I can see things now that are kind of naturally occurring where if I just say, reach your arms overhead, you know, we can kind of cheat that. We can, we can find where we're most comfortable. I'll ask them to get up and down off the ground. I want to see how they do that. I'll ask Without them to, any cueing, just, you just say. Actually, I kind of, you know, not that you should all do this, but I kind of trick them and I'll say like, grab that mat over there and then just pop down on the floor here for me. And I'll either get the, I can't get up and down off the floor, which is an okay answer. That's part of my, my assessment, right? And I check that off as was not comfortable attempting. And I say, oh, cool, I've got these two 24-inch soft pad boxes over here. Could you sit on those and then lay on your back? And they're like, yeah, I could do that. And what about an 18-inch? What about a 12-inch, right? And so I can adjust my floor height. Or they're just like, sure, I can get on the ground. And they usually, it's a bend over, put your hands on the floor, back dominant, hip abusive bend over. And then they'll do something. Or they'll sit straight down, crisscross legs, and, and just you know wrench their knees sitting to the ground. Rarely do you get like a get up you know, where they go to the knee and they, you know, they pivot, pivot over and they do the windshield. You know, they don't do any of that. So we kind of get an idea and I'll be like, actually, I'm, I need you on this end of the gym. Would you mind moving your mat and coming back? And so I watch them get up again. Now I've seen what they get up and they come back and that might be the only one that I need. Then I'll get them on the ground or I'll get them on the box for this first attempt. And then I'll, I'll ask them to bridge and I'll see what kind of bridge. Is it back dominant? Is it glute dominant? Uh, are they pushing with their quads and sliding back and forth? Right. So we kind of go through that. Mm -hmm. And then I'll do some kind of action overhead. I'll have a band overhead that they can do like a pull down on, like a chin up action. And if they're not comfortable getting their arms there, I'll have one that's a little lower, or I'll ask them to do some kind of shoulder raise. And either one for me is giving me information to, are they actively capable? Are their shoulders frozen and impinged? Something in here is gonna give me some feedback of what they're capable of doing. And, and then I have a step up variation, you know, a six inch, a 12 inch, an 18 inch. Do they need help? Do they need a band to hang on to? Do they need to be next to a post? You know, something like that. And so I'll have them do all that and then we'll do it again. And in some cases, you know, if, if it was you, you'd be like, this is a piece of cake. I signed up for this, right? We do a sit down. And I'm like, so I just assessed you and here's everything that I just saw. And you're like, oh, now this makes sense. And I'm like, okay, next time we meet will be our real workout number one. Because now I know what you can do. Where with some other clients, there's like, this was the hardest thing I've ever done. And so I now, I know what kind of level we're starting at, but I also know what I'm working with. Right. And so you can build and kind of progress it from there and personalize it and, and critique it and everything, but you get the data that you need. But as soon as you say, I'm assessing you now, it's not going to be natural. I need natural. And with the older populations, not that my opinion of them matters a whole lot, everybody still wants to appear you know, and present themselves in a good way. Of so you, you won't get the natural responses that you want. So in a way you're, you're kind of tricking them, but you're tricking for a good purpose and you're omitting information. Uh, but as soon as we get done, I tell them why I did it. And that you'll see them like during the sit to stand, they're like, am I doing this right? And I'm like, yeah, you're doing great. Just keep going. 
and they're waiting for feedback. Do you want right. me to this or that? And it's like, you're not going to get hurt doing this. If I see something, they're going to get hurt on anything. I stop them. And then I'll cue it, but I, I want to see that natural movement. And then from there, there's a whole system, a whole way to progress. But basically it's step one, step two, and you, you know, up you go. I love that. I think that one of the things we forget is that the reason that we train good movement patterns in the gym is so people will take them to real life. It doesn't matter if someone performs the most perfect kettlebell deadlift, and then they go to put the kettlebell away and they revert back to their old movement patterns that you know that they're then using a hundred more times in their day and in their life. So I feel like right off the bat, that really just connects dots between how do you move and how do we want you to move in life, not just in the gym. And we really have to embrace the role of being an educator for that. You know, why do I harp on you so much when you do that last bend over? And, and, you know, I'll call it out and be like, you know, Casey, you just did 10 great deadlifts and then bent over and put that back. This is what we're training for. Just do an 11th good one. Right. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know. And I'm like, well, if you knew, I wouldn't probably be having this conversation with you right now from your socks to that 80 pound bag of dog food or your tool or whatever it is. Right. Like, you have to do this movement pattern in the same way to be safe. And my girls just snuck in here. Uh, <laughs> come here, come say hi now that, you, now that you've interrupted. Hi. hi. What's her name? You can't hear her, huh? She's saying oh, yeah. hello. Her name is Peyton. <laughs> All right, head out of here, bud. Come on, yeah, go on. Hi. And then that, the other one's Bristol. So um, yeah, thanks. Sorry for the interruption. That's okay. Um, it's like we really have to embrace the idea of teaching why we coach and cue everything the way that we do or else they won't learn the idea of how it transfers because we got 168 hours and I get you for two or three of them, right? What are we doing with the rest of those hours all week long? Probably abusing your body with poor movement mechanics. So when we get the opportunity of like, here's why I need you to do it this way because it's going to apply when you do dot, 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 examples, examples. And when we go through like that very first sit down with the client, some of my favorite questions are like, what do you do outside of the gym? Do you play tennis? Do you golf? Do you, you know, handball? Like, oh, I like to go on walks with my husband, this or that. I'll get to the point where I'm like, if you don't do this right, you're not going to be able to golf anymore on the weekends because you're going to tear your back up doing this, right? We bring it back to where it's important to them. We mm -hmm. apply it to them. And in our programming, you know, I may have two or three just little things that I critique or change where I'm like, this is now a golf training program where with my endurance runners, it would be very, very similar, different volume controls, but almost similar movement patterns, little tiny changes. And I'm like, this is for your endurance training, right? Ultimately, I'm looking at this, I'm like, it's hinge, mm -hmm. which hinge applies to you best in the sport you're pursuing or the efforts you're pursuing. As soon as we take that education and we bring it around to them, they see how it's going to apply at their benefit, they'll really start to embrace it. But if we just say, this is the safe way to do it, I know that's the answer. You don't know, or you'd be doing it. It's, you just don't see value to it yet. So we have right. to assign that value. We have to educate that value. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about choosing exercises for older adults? Oh, I feel me up so good for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you run with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, so I just put up a post, I don't know, two or three weeks about it. And it's like the six things that drive me nuts about this. Uh, somewhere along the line, someone said, you can't lift more than 30 pounds if you're older. So heavier lifting, it drives me nuts. Where did 30 pounds come what? from? Right? And, and I've seen it. I've seen it in, you know, uh, doctor's packets and such of, do you exercise? Do you lift more than 30 pounds? And I think they look back at like back injuries, hernias, that kind of stuff. If you hit yes, they're like, oh, you do heavier lifting. I'm like, 30 pounds isn't 
heavy to, to the average person, you know? Right. So that's a one right away. You shouldn't do anything over your head. Like, I don't know, get dishes down, put on my shirt or my jacket. Like that's an action to me. That's pretty obnoxious for individuals or medical professionals to just say like, we should just remove that movement pattern. Most of the stuff you should do, it should be sitting down. And hmm. that's another thing is like, we already sit down so much. Why are we then going to have individuals come into the gym and sit on more machines? Yeah. Machines have their place. I'm not anti-machine, but as soon as someone's capable of not being on machines, do that. Cause that's the benefit of what we're going to be doing. We're talking about applying these movement mechanics to real life. Well, sitting on the couch is, is movement mechanic. They need to get down and up to, but what about everything else? You know, so I need less sitting, but that's a big assumption. You got to sit down. I had a lady that came into the gym and she goes, oh, a friend of mine told me that this is the place to go if I'm an older adult, where are all your chairs at? And I said, what, what do you mean chairs? She goes, normally in the, the older adult classes, everyone brings out their chairs and their little weights. I don't even see any little weights. And I said, well, we don't do that here. And she literally started to back away from me. She's like, mm -mm, I'm not in the right spot. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You just said you're retiring. What are you retiring from? She goes, well, I'm a farmer. And I'm like, so you do a lot of sitting down, do you, when you're farming? And she goes, no, I never sit down. And I'm like, so what, <laughs> why would I train you like that if you're trying to improve your hips and this? You know? So once you have that conversation, you kind of go through, it's like, oh, you're, you're right. It is pretty ridiculous that we go that way. So don't lift heavy. Don't go overhead. Got to sit down for everything. You know, use machines only. Power production. You, get, you can't move fast. You're going to get hurt, right? When, when we look at someone in the older generations or older years and they have an injury when you talk to them usually that injury occurred via something explosive a fall something quick happened to them and they either couldn't respond or they were overcome by that simple things i had a lady that refused to do resistance training and she tripped on a curb didn't even fall down just slapped her foot down catching herself quickly and her ankle snapped and the doctor talked to her and he goes your bone structure is so soft you're brittle and I'm looking at that going, this is resistance training, right? You can't just train with body weight, you know, like you have to have external load. This is the said principle. This is the overload principle. Like that's the whole idea. There has to be some kind of external load for us to overcome, for our bones to pull on, for our muscles to engage and manipulate our body from, because we're good at manipulating us. We do us all the time, right? I've had people that are like, I work with just body weight and I've got super strong. You've got muscularly endured and strong. Yes. But are, are you as dense as you could be? Are your bones as dense as they could be? We have to have that external load. So we need to teach people as they age how to move weight and then how to move weight quickly, how to be explosive. And that can come from throwing med balls and slamming things on the ground and catching and tossing things in the air. And for younger trainers, they think power of snatches and box jumps. And we can't do that with people that are 70 with a fake hip. But you can let go of stuff and you can accelerate things. And they get so much more from that stability training, spatial awareness, tracking of an implement, right? Seeing, anticipating where they are in space. That's fall prevention at its best. Balance, mm -hmm. coordination, reaction time. Like you're hitting all the, the physical components of fitness by just throwing something in the air and getting out of the way, yeah. you know? And so it's, it's really kind of cool to look at those, you know, five or six things and say like, these are what everyone else sees. We do the exact opposite and people are just training into these great abilities. So part of what we do as educators, we break those stereotypes. And as our clients start to experience that, we highlight them on our social medias. And then we've had these experiences that grow. Those things then become old stereotypes, right? We're now breaking through those. And you just start to see more and more older people going to the gym and getting off the machines. And you see them doing deadlifts. 
maybe not in a hex bar with a barbell, but they're picking up a dumbbell. They're picking up a sandbag, you know, like they're, they're training, they're training yeah. like athletes. And that's really what it comes down to. Cool. I'm just going to reemphasize the point that you made about mm -hmm. body weight training can make you muscularly strong, but it does require an external load to increase your bone density, which becomes so important as you age. I've actually never thought about that before, but it's so true. That's an amazing point, especially yeah. for women as they age. Like that's totally. a really real problem. And, and there's another stereotype that goes with resistance training is also going to uh, injure you. You know, that moving weights around, it's going to injure you or it's going to make you too big. Trust mm -hmm. me, at 50 or 60, there's no chance of you getting too big, right? right. Unless you start shooting up. And, and even then, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. But we, we look at the ability to overcome an injury. And when you rehabilitate, what do you do? You use bands and you use small dumbbells and you, you create progressive resistance and little consistent resistances. And as you get stronger, it goes bigger. Mm -hmm. So why would we not just take a full body rehab approach and continue with resistance training, right? I've had people fight me on the whole idea of, of once I say that, they're like, you know, I've got a, a gym at home and all I do are push-ups and, and sit-ups and squats and I've gained this muscle. I, I get it. You're in great shape, but it's more muscular endurance shape. You right. can contract your musculature with your body load over and over again a billion times with your chin-ups and the, that's great shape. But are you as dense as you could be? Mm -hmm. you know, we've got to have that external load to achieve that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so important the throws and the more explosive movements that you're talking about. I also mm -hmm. just think is such a good thing for older adults to do. I have one personal training client who's in her mid seventies. She's my favorite client to train. She's amazing. Um, but her, some of her favorite movements are the throws that we do are some of the agility ladder stuff that we do mm -hmm. even slams. A lot of these sort of movements that you're talking about. Part of the reason is they're fun for her. Yeah. But also she's like, it's good brain work. So she's really enjoying it. She feels like she's playing, but she also likes the neurological component that comes from mm -hmm. that and that stimulation that she doesn't get anywhere else in her life. So there are lots of reasons why those movements are so good and not things to be feared as long as you've laid the foundations for some good movement patterns and you're choosing safe versions of them, right? Like we're not putting them on a box jump, but yeah. you can find other smart ways to be still be explosive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about this as as an average individual like when was the last time you sprinted at full speed or you got to throw something really far and when we talk to our clients about that you may have done that yesterday right but when i talk to somebody who's 70 your, your average client that comes in for the first time they haven't done either of those in decades betty she goes i i haven't thrown anything since i was in grade school she's 93 oh so we're gosh. talking like the 50s like it was a long time ago, right? The last time she did this, you know, we had her do um, a pop squat where it's like a 45 degree squat. And as she comes up, she just kind of pops up to her toes and she goes, she called it a skip. She goes, I haven't skipped in 50 years. I'm like, you didn't actually come off the ground, it, but you move quick, <laughs> right? Like the idea. And so a lot of those patterns they haven't done in forever. So you do have to be progressive with that, but the result and like the benefit of training those are, are huge pieces. Mm -hmm. And it's fun to do. You, you hit it. I'm not going to say the name of the business, but they have like 11 stations that you go to. They're all machines. They're exactly the same every time. You go around in a circle, comes and you leave. Your body's used to that in three weeks. You know? But when you train and you change the stimulus from what you're doing, even if there's similar movement patterns, there's hinges. I've got 500 different hinges I can have you do. You know? And then I get to throw stuff while I'm doing it. When was the last time you got to slam something on the ground or throw something as far as you could? That is a primal movement component that we can do 
they haven't done it in forever. The benefits are great to do it. It's fun. It's all of this kind of comes together for them. I'm like, this is a great thing. Why didn't I do this sooner? Yeah. Sitting on machines, moving around a circle. That doesn't last. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the biggest epiphanies that I had when training with my clients, when she first came in, I was a little bit apprehensive because I didn't know how to program for her and what she would be able to do. I think one of the biggest epiphanies I had was that I actually didn't have to change anything about my method of the way I programmed for her. I just had to scale it so that it was appropriate and so that Mm -hmm. she was comfortable. But the principles of training were exactly the same. Like Nothing changes just because we're older. We, We train for performance. And those performances, when you break it down to basic movement mechanics, they're all pretty much the same from sport to sport, to movement, to movement, to life application, it's hinges and rows horizontally and vertically, and it's pushes and presses horizontally and vertically. And we split our feet and we carry stuff and that, and we twist. Those are pretty much the pieces we do. So you're right. The blueprint, the outline of what you're going to do with people, it just has to slide to where, where it fits for them and what the next challenge is. Mm-hmm. And it can be difficult to kind of jump into a new topic of like knowing where those are for older people. Cause you're worried if I take too big of a step or if I try to challenge and push them too much, I'm going to injure them and we regress. And it's just like anything else. It just might take a little bit longer and mastering the skill, feeling like the overload you've asked and you've supplied has been overcome. Mm-hmm. and that they're ready for this next step. And it might not be from A to B. It might be A.5. You know what I mean? Like it might be just a smaller little step that you need to take before you're ready to make that jump to the next one. And so just, you know, small incremental progressive steps that are continually challenging the client, you're doing your job. They're not coming in with like, I got to be ready for the U.S. Open in six. Like we don't have that culminating event typically. You're just improving performance. So I love that athletic approach, even though none of my clients are athletes, they all are athletic. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Totally. You know? Yeah. They're all trying to be more athletic and be able, but none of them are training for a sporting event. Right. I've been having the conversation uh, with a lot of people lately about pain mm-hmm. and the language surrounding pain, how you address it. You're talking a lot about how clients tend to come to you with some kind of injury or some kind of complaint that they're looking to rehab. How do you acknowledge and stay behind, I guess, the pain line, but also not dwell on it too much? Like what's, what's the approach to training through pain with older adults? Good question. Yeah, that's, it's a a touchy topic and usually uh, requires a team approach. Um, We have a fantastic therapist that we work with and, and physical therapist, physio, who can advise and kind of give me direction when I was kind of talking about training individuals athletically, I had to find a physio that fit that requirement because there are different strategies and philosophies for physical therapists, just like there are coaches and trainers. So we had to fit and I kind mm-hmm. of, I call it speed dating. Like I went out and I speed dated a couple different until I found Dan and I'm like, you're my guy, Dan and, and his wife, Lisa, and they're both in two different systems. So basically wherever my clients come from, I've got a good direction with both of them, you know, that I can go. And nice. so once they will see them, if I feel like the need is there for them to be seen by, by Dan or Lisa, they kind of give me the, the feedback of, here's what we found, do this, don't do this, you know, or this is a pretty major thing. I need to see them more often, you know, and really regress me back to what I should be addressing. So I have the proper direction, number one. Mm-hmm. With that, depending on the limitation, Uh, arthritis is really the big one that 
in some cases we are going to stir the pot and make the pain greater, you know, by doing, because the arthritic component comes from abusively moving or in most cases with older adults, not moving enough. Mm -hmm. So that's where the arthritic component has affected them. So when you come in and you're like, I need you to manipulate your hands and move your back and start to do things in these arthritic areas that you haven't, the, the research does support this grace period, right? But that grace period is from like two to 12 weeks. It's a long grace period where I may make you more uncomfortable or create discomfort. But knowing that over 50% of the people that get through this have reduced pain and success on the other end, it's worth that process for me. I don't think we're going to make things worse unless we're stupid, but we are going to create them some discomfort with the hopes that we come out positive on the other end. And we've had great experiences doing that with that same approach. We kind of talked about those baby steps and just getting lots of feedback from the client. So we kind of tread a line there. I have my professional direction from my physio and, my, and our doctors to kind of give us the way of what we should and we shouldn't do. And then it's my job then to kind of find what I call the art of training is if I'm picking the right hinge that's going to fit you based on this need, Dan might tell me no squats for this client. We can't vertically load them. Well, I'm looking at that going, okay, I can horizontally load them, right? Now I've got 30 different options I can do with that. Now I need to artistically kind of come through and say, what's my first one going to be? What's my next one going to be? How can I create progressive resistance? How can I create this overload? They have a back and they have a knee issue. How do I need to adjust and manipulate the exercise, rig it a little bit differently to adjust that, right? That is the art of teaching, the art of coaching, the art of training, where you're finding the right piece, you're creating the right recipe, but ultimately we create the meal, we create what they need. And so you do that over and over and over again and you see where you're successful, where you're not, you use the direction that they give you, you take the feedback from the client. Not that we're embracing like a trial and error approach, but on a daily basis, I need to see what's working and what's not. And mm -hmm. every day I'm tailoring and I'm fixing things on the fly if I need to. You know, I have an idea, an approach, and they do the set and they're like, this doesn't feel right with my back. Then I switch it immediately to something else, right? Until they're like, that feels decent. That's comfortable. Well, now I can push that. Rule number one is don't make anyone worse. Do no harm. So have the right team around you to help create those guidelines, but then learn as many options in those guidelines as you can. Make yourself as valuable as possible to that system. And the three or four of you all together, you know, we have a behavioral counselor too. If we have cool. any, yeah, if we have any, you know, eating disorders, uh, depression, like any, anything cognitively that we need to, to coach and address too. You know, we get a lot of clients that come in and they're looking for an environment to be a part of because they just lost their, you know, 50 year long spouse or, wow. you know, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. And, and it's really not physical for them. It's emotional. It's mental. And so we, we might consult and coach with someone on that end to help us go through that. I've had clients that are just in the middle of a training session start crying. I'm like, are you hurt? And they're like, no, I, you know, it's just been a rough day. And, and you kind of start to hear that, you know, that story and it's an anniversary or you said something that was similar to what he used to say to her. And so, I mean, it's, it's a whole health approach, yeah. you know, to what you're trying to deliver with people. And then the whole other piece is nutrition, which we have our dietitians and our, you know, our, our people that we refer for that. Cause remember I stay in my zone. I know what I I'm good at right. and I'm not advising them on food. So we have our, our people in that direction. It's a holistic approach. It's a whole body approach. And I'm one of the, the cogs in that system that needs to do its job well. To answer your question, it's a very team approach that creates a guideline that all works well in a system that you need to be a pretty involved piece, but maybe the spearhead because you might be the first one they contact to help get this whole thing rolling. 
Yeah. So important to have that referral network and also to realize that at every age, fitness doesn't exist in isolation and movement doesn't exist on its own. Everything is more important when you are more successful when you address it from a holistic perspective and you think about all the pieces. And I'm sure for older adults who are going through some massive life changes, I'm sure that the emotional and behavioral component is, is huge as well. And something that maybe you or I can't quite understand yet. So being able yeah. to refer them to to other people to speak with is yeah. important. That's cool. Yeah, there's, um, you know, you'll, you'll see it some days too when people will be a little bit more aggravated or you feel like, oh, I have a hard time working with older people. I'm just not patient enough. They've had poor experiences with professionals or people in the past where they're they're no longer patient. And when you come in and you bring validity what you do, you, you'll see that patience drastically change. You know what I mean? They'll really see and value what you have to say. And, and it's, it won't be this like, you know, get off my lawn, grumpy old man approach. I really don't have any clients to do that. A couple, they do it on purpose, but just to get my goat, right? But it's like you, <laughs> you establish that relationship, the credibility up front. You, you don't have that experience. It's, it's another one of those common misconceptions that, you know, we have about working with older pops. As you've talked about with your client, extremely hardworking, very dedicated, rarely ever miss, you know, they have to be really sick or on a trip. And even when they're going on a trip, they're like, I want to come four days this week. Cause I don't want to, I don't I want to get my 12 workouts in this month. Right. Like, yeah. it's just really cool. Like I, you know, I have a couple of teenagers that are kids of the kids of the grandparents that I train. And it's like, normally I wouldn't work with them, but they're throwers and such. So we really fit they cancel at a whim. And, you know, it's like that your grandma's way more committed to training than you are. You know, yeah. it's just really fun to kind of see that it's such a rewarding thing. And I see it with you when you talk about her, how you're like, it's probably my, my favorite client or my most fun. It's because of the engagement and the joy and the success that you kind of have with that. You can see that energy come out of you. And it's not that you don't get that with other people, but this client responds and appreciates it probably a little more than most. Yeah, and that, so that is the most rewarding thing. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's why we do it. Yeah, totally. We do it because it's, it literally makes her daily life better and she sees it and knows it. And then we get to experience and celebrate that together. Like she's able to give herself a pedicure now and she never could do that or she couldn't do that, you know, two yeah. years ago. Right. It's just those little things where she's like, this is really affecting my life. I love that. I love that I get, I'm so grateful to get to be a part of that. It's awesome. It's neat to be the person that delivers that. I just don't know if everybody recognizes or sees that like you do, you know, like that's a very cool thing to hear you say. You get it. Thanks. Yeah. I have a question for you about programming. I sure. didn't notice you talking in any of your exercises about pressing with mm -hmm. older clients. Do you stay away from pressing on purpose? I do. God, you did your research. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. You just keep like lobbing them up. I'm like, sweet, here we go. I'll just swing at this one. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to guess 90% of my clients come in with shoulder impingement issues to horizontally push to train that action to me just kind of seems to feed the problem more. We do so much in front of us and we have so much action. I call it the C muscles. Like it's everything that we see is what we kind of train. But as we've discussed this hinges, retractions, carries, that's all posterior chain. That's all everything behind us, right? So if I'm getting somebody at 70 who's had 70 years of abusing the front side of their body and dominance, and I get you for twice a week for an hour, three days a week for an hour, that's just not a, a priority of a movement pattern for me. I'm not going to say we don't do it. We just rarely do it. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to try to give you the best bang for your buck, the best 
service that I think you are paying for, it's going to address all these other these other components because I think there's so much more valuable now to you at this age than anything else I could do with you horizontally or even vertically in a pressing action. I do almost all my overhead action via pulls because I can still get them to the ability to get their arms overhead, but how often are they going to be pressing loads that way? Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just not a huge priority. The priority is I want them to be able to get their arms over their head. So if I can get them pulling horizontally and then start to move them into hinging actions where eventually that hinge goes to 45 to 130 to 180, then I've achieved overhead action. It's just a pulling overhead action, right? Mm-hmm. And once I can train the movement pattern and I can build the strength there and between my shoulder raises, my retractions to free up the scapular joint and allow that action to occur, eventually we achieve the ability to press their arms over their head. It's just not with weight. Cool. And will I get people to do that eventually with weight? Maybe, you know, it's just not a huge priority for me. Yeah, that makes total Great sense. Yeah. Can you tell us a little more about Be Stronger Fitness? What services you guys offer? What does the training look like when, when someone signs on with you? Be Stronger Fitness is really, we, my wife and I decided to open the gym. It was like, the studio was like, what, what are we going to call it? And it's like, well, let's just call it what we do. I mean, we help people get stronger and, and we want them to be stronger. And so that's really our focus. Um, we are a traditional strength and conditioning facility. So we will have a strength priority. We call it the strength first section. Everyone will address that. And then it will funnel to whatever their next need is. We have the Timmerman approach, which is lower back, hip, and uh, and knee limitation clients. We have our ADL group, activities of daily life. We have our ADL plus group, which are the individuals that are doing ADLs, but they're a little bit more capable as opposed to the basics of toileting, dressing, feeding themselves, all those pieces that we're training like basic movement patterns for. This is getting up and down off the ground, up and down off steps, you know, climbing up and down from those positions, reaching overhead, rowing overhead, hinging, carrying. So we'll address that. We have a golf strong program, a ski strong program. You know, we have uh, components that are, yeah, based on, on the trickle down of what their, their secondary need is. But the key, the first bit of strength is the key. And so we, we program that and then we have the secondary piece that goes to them. We have a blueprint that fits each one of those. And, and that's what trainingtheolderadult.com came about from is we just had people keep coming in, trainers keep coming in, wanting to observe. And I'm like, how are you doing that? How are you creating that scale? What is the blueprint? So eventually I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do a webinar and I'm going to teach it. And people wanted more. And they're like, I need to know more about the hinges specifically. And so next thing we got to the point where the YouTube page was kind of explaining each of those pieces. And I'm like, we should make a course out of this. And so that's how TOA came about. And our TOA is like our first complete course is 2020. It starts in just a couple of weeks. So that's really like the first big time I did each of the pieces of the TOA last year independently. And now it's all kind of one big event that kind of comes together. So exciting. Go there and check that out. Yeah. To anybody else that wants more information. Very cool. Congrats. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. I just have one final question for you. This is the question I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. Mm -hmm. I want to know what makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning. (laughs) I've had a hundred clients say this to me. They're like, do you think about this when you sleep? And my answer is yes. I will literally pop up in the middle of the night and be like, Casey's lower back. We're going to do single leg staggered bridges and I'll write it down on my phone. (laughs) I'll, I'll text myself and I'm like, I got it. Right. Like, this is constantly on my mind of how can I personalize this one piece to get that achieved goal one step closer, one step quicker. I'm always thinking about that. I'll be at Disney on ice this afternoon with my kids. 
and I'll be sitting there watching somebody go up and down steps or something like that. If they have a band around their knees, they get more abduction out of their hips. Oh, that's what I should do with Lisa, right? Like I'll have a moment like that where it'll just come to me. And so that is the thing that like really makes me think about this while I'm sleeping and get up every day is like, I could figure out that one next bit. Cause that's what I needed. You know, it really kind of comes back. And I know it's ego to say that, but it's like when you've been kind of down and you've lost your ability to do the thing that you've loved your whole life. I love throwing. I dream about throwing still, but I can't do it. My hips will literally not, you know, hold me to, to still throw. So when you have something like that kind of removed, you learn this void and what it's like to not be able to do something that you're so passionate about. So if I can help someone else refill that or be able again, I'm going to do everything I can to make that happen. So that's always in my head. That's an obsession a bit for me to help find that piece, what the next bit is to get them there. And then if I can teach those pieces and a system to everybody else, that to me is greater than opening another location where I could get another hundred people, where if I could train another hundred trainers and they could train their hundred people. And now we've, you know, now we've affected thousands rather than just another hundred folks here in California. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really what it all comes down to. Another very long answer for a short question. I uh, love it. <laughs> that's amazing. Very cool. Yeah. If people want to become a client of yours, if mm-hmm. maybe they're in the California Sacramento area, or if they want to learn from you online, get in touch with you, maybe how do they go about doing that? Uh, both websites, um, bestrongerfitness.com. Uh, if you're a potential client wanting to come and train or training the older adult.com, that is our online education for trainers. So both websites there, uh, you can contact us via the comment sections there. My phone number is on both. It goes directly to my cell phone. It's a real, real business uh, number. Instagram, you know, just how you found me. Same thing. Sending me messages on there. Follow us on there. Follow our YouTube, follow our Facebook. I don't really do any business names. It's just me, me and my people you know, our clients, our family, real life and real actions. And, you know, I I want people to know that there's the opportunity to learn and to truly do this. It's not someone who used to do it, who's now made a system and sold a book and they're still in the fields doing this. And I think that's a a huge piece uh, that, you know, the practice and the preach of what you do uh, is, is very important and our industry changes. So we have to stay on top of that. And in the act of being able to teach others to do it, that's, that's my purpose. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? Remember, we release a new episode every Monday morning. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and CastBox. If you're liking what you're hearing, please rate and review the show. Every review really does go a long way. I appreciate every single one of them so, so much. If you're liking what you're hearing on the show, please share it with a family member or friend that you think could benefit from listening to the things that we talk about on How Do You Feel? All right, guys, that's all I have for you this week. Make sure you get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.